We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. We are, what is today? November 11th. 11 11. 11. Okay, there we go. Um, Charlie Johnson and I, that's Charlie. Um, we're recording this right after the Wolves just beat uh, the Detroit Pistons in Detroit. I was like, it's always good to write a story or to record a podcast after a win. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just better. And I was not going to lie, a little bit. Um, nervous that that wasn't going to be the case. I mean, it was a, it was a long weekend. I mean, from Friday, you know, Friday, the golden state game, then you play, you play Denver and a road, a road back to back or the second half of back to back being on the road is always, is always tough. But I, I was stunned particularly about the way that the wolves came out in that game. And I think a lot of people latch on to the eight of 10 from three, mm-hmm. but to me, what popped more than that, cause you're going to, Eventually, you're going to make eight of ten threes that yeah. you take. Yep. It was they were playing so damn fast. It's the I, the whole pace thing has been. I'm like, I look, I'm like, really, they're number one in pace in the league. It just doesn't like. To, maybe I'm getting numb to it. it. Doesn't feel. This was the first game where I was like, okay, that, that's the fastest team in the NBA. Yeah. And I think Detroit was playing fast in this game as well, and maybe they were kind of succumbing to what the Wolves wanted to do. But that always seems to, if you have two teams that are both willing to play fast, then it's just going to feed off of, they're going to feed off of the each other. The first time we saw that was that Golden State game in the, in the preseason. You remember that? Where, yeah. Like the Wolves are just trying to run, and Golden State's like, okay. That's what, like, Steph yeah. was, it was like Steph and D'Angelo and Draymond were all in that game, and it was like, okay, this is chaos. Like, we'll, we'll run with you. We will outrun you. And... I haven't felt that in a lot of the other games, but yeah, tonight it was like D Rose and those guys, yep. they decided to play at the Wolves pace. And what's weird is I think the Wolves are getting good at playing with pace. I think they are too. And what was especially weird about it for me tonight was that 
And what stood out at the beginning of the game was that they scored 41 points in the first quarter, right? 41. Jeez. And they, they didn't have either of their two point guards. And I think that probably just speaks to what a re- revelation Andrew Wiggins has been to be able to lead an offense that, or at least initiate an offense that can score 41 points in a first quarter without a Jeff Teague or a Shabazz Napier there to kind of be a fail safe option to put the ball in their hands. We got to hit on the Wiggins numbers. Yeah. Let's so hear since the Philly game, which was the suspension game the with, uh, without cap. It's been six games. Wiggins is averaging has averaged 29 points in those games, five assists and four boards per nice. game, which are all ridiculous numbers for him because we know that even when he has scored 30 in the past, it certainly hasn't come with four and five in those other two slots. Yeah. But then to also be shooting seven threes a game and hitting 40.5% of those is just a huge change, and I, I I find myself thinking or tweeting every single game that oh my god, this is a completely this is a completely different. It's not a completely different player. That's not the right way to put it. It's it's just better. Yeah, it's just such a better basketball player. Yeah, and and that the change is massive. And it, it doesn't only pop up in those box score numbers, which it does. He he had five assists again tonight, which was the fourth time in Andrew Wiggins' career he's had four. The first time in his career, excuse yeah. me, he's had four straight games with five plus assists. The longest streak he had before was two games during his rookie season. So that's incredible. But it's not just those box score numbers. Like you can see it with the poise and with the confidence and the decision making. And he's not just putting up because how many times has he had a stretch where he's put up 29 points a game? Oh, for sure. Like, oh, he did it with Jim Pete was saying on the broadcast today. He had a stretch of like some 20 straight 25 plus point games at one point in his career. Like, or maybe it was 10 or something, but he's definitely, he's definitely put up. I mean, average 24 a game one year. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's definitely been a scorer, but I I think the passing stuff is crazy to me because, because he wasn't doing it at the beginning of the year. Like he wasn't passing at all. I mean, I think the last time you and I were on the podcast, we're like, Hey, Andrew, we need you to pass some. You have like four assists in five mm-hmm. games or something. And then we went and looked at those four assists. We're like, well, that was, it's maybe more like two. Yeah. Like he literally wasn't. And I think what's happening, and this is, this is probably a smart implementation of coaching is you said one thing at a time, like focus this week on getting downhill, get downhill that you got the screen coming for you. Just get downhill and do all that. And then Okay, you put a week of that in, then you're adding on top of it. Now let's add a pass to there if they're, you know, if they're taking that away, particularly if they're bringing in a second defender. And he's shown he's been able to do both. Yeah. And it's it's very odd that at the beginning of the year, or my assumption was becoming, okay, maybe he can be a player who's taking 80% of his shots at the rim or from behind the three-point line, but I don't know if he's going to be able to have the discernment to be able to also pass out of that. So Bigger than honestly, bigger than the shot selection stuff to me is is the discipline and being able to figure that out. Yeah, to, and to be able to not only like have the discipline and the vision to find a shooter, but also to like what happened with his handle. It was during the preseason he was still dribbling it up to his face and getting the ball ripped out of his hands Frying all the pan time. Handle man, and he he he's not turning the ball over right now. It's just it looks clean. He looks like he's picking his spots and he's maneuvering through traffic and he's. He's not like he's spinning with some success and 
it's just and and cat hasn't even been really good cat hasn't been good since the suspension really i mean he's all cat's always good but like it wasn't the pre-suspension it hasn't been the pre-suspension cat cat's shot is for sure and it's just touch has kind of been off i mean got a little bit back on track tonight tonight against detroit but they've absolutely needed andrew wiggins yeah and now i mean i would add this to this detroit game that that's four games that they for sure lose if they don't have Andrew Wiggins, if you if we tack on Brooklyn, Miami, the Brooklyn one's weird though. I mean, he but, but they, he was bad, but they lose that game if he doesn't do what he did in the fourth quarter well, in overtime. What if Okogie plays all of his minutes before the fourth quarter? Then you like add up some. Then maybe they don't even. Need I don't think his, so. His no, clutch I, buckets. I think you do. I think the, there is not all buckets and minutes are created equally. Yeah. And I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I know. It, it's just. Anyways, he's been crucial. No, no, no. But that, yeah, yeah. I, he's been crucial. If, even if we take that one out for sure, the Miami game, right? Yep. Yeah. And and then Golden State and tonight and tonight. That's yeah. four. They have six total wins. Yeah. So that's. I don't know. That that's. Um, it's meaningful, and it's why this team is good right now. Like, as we've talked about a million times, we're like, well, what the hell does this team do without Cat? There's there's the quote unquote huge talent gap between Cat and the rest of the roster. Well, that has proven not really to be a thing mm-hmm. this year because Andrew Wiggins is playing at I'm not I'm not jumping to All Star level yet. Um, well, he's played at an All Star level the last four games for sure. There you go. At, at yeah, not that. yeah, maybe not for the entire ten games of the season, but he's been. I mean, what more would you want from him? Yeah, I can't think of anything. Defense, maybe. Like maybe we were talking about that while we we're watching the game. Yeah. It's like he hasn't necessarily popped as like. Okay, you're a well above average defender. He's not making. He's not like delivering. He's not surprising you on defense with like. No, yeah, he's I, been solid though. I, like I don't contests. know. I I don't even really know how to evaluate it that much yet because I haven't had hardly one moment where I've said, "Oh wow, well, what a nice defensive play by Andrew Wiggins." So something. T- if if you never see that, something tells me it, it might not really be. Hit, that jump this year like if he can do what he's doing on the offensive end even 85 percent of it for the rest of the year he can kind of be a little bit of a slouch on defense but it just he hasn't popped once on that side of the ball but it's just hard to complain about because he's been so good on offense I I do want to talk about the difference between offensive defense with this team kind of zooming out bigger than just Andrew Wiggins because as I'm putting something together today about the the defense of this team. And right now after this game, the Wolves are 21st in offensive efficiency and 13th in defense. And I, so that makes it sound like, oh, the defense is driving this team. But I'm actually going to go the other way and and think that we need to see a lot more development from this defensive group because I think the offense is going to come. It's, as you've pointed out to me a million times, is you basically have a floor of like a top 12 offense when you have Cat on your team playing all those games. Like, I think they're just going to naturally get, get up there. And obviously they shooting six for 45 yeah. against uh, Denver. Doesn't do you any favors playing the Milwaukee and Philly games were terrible. couple games without cat, couple games without Teague. Yep. Yeah. Like I, but I, so I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think it's going to be a probably close to a top 10 offense. I don't know if I feel like this is for sure an above average defensive team yet. Yeah. And and that's largely informed by by me seeing the same thing in numerous games kind of puncture them and that being their inability to kind of control the main offensive creator for the other teams. 
it's kind of the explosive example of it being Kyrie Irving and D'Angelo Russell scoring 50 points. But that is that is the weak part of the defense is being able to control the point of attack and not really having a system in place that allows you to help when a guy like Kyrie or D'Angelo is going off on their off the dribble pull up game, because that is what the Timberwolves defensive scheme begs the opponent to do is we're going to drop cap back to the rim. So if Trevion Graham or Okogi get caught on the screen or whatever, like it's a pretty clean look mm-hmm. for Kyrie as in the first game or for D'Angelo Russell in that Warriors game or even Kendrick Nunn in, in the Miami game. Like those guys can go off because this defensive scheme allows them to. I'm not trying to necessarily condemn the scheme, no, but that is the weak point of it. That's what, I mean, Ryan Saunders was asked after the game against the Warriors whether he thought about, right, whether he thought about double teaming D'Angelo Russell or anything like that. And he said he kind of thought about it, but he decided not to because that's what they want D'Angelo Russell to do. He took 37 shots, right? I think so, yeah. Would you say that 30 of them were outside of the paint or jump shots? Yep. Is that yeah? I, that that's my guess. Something like that, and I think Ryan Saunders would say we absolutely want D'Angelo Russell or Kyrie Irving to take thirty jump shots if a half of them or you know a third of them will be mid rangers because we think on a on a really good night they're going to make fifty percent of those shots, and that's what D'Angelo Russell did, and that's why it was a really close game. But if he misses four of those shots, like he might, like his averages might predict he would. So you're kind of giving it a pass. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't have a huge problem with it. If it's something where they were like it was killing them and they were losing these games, I would say, how can you not double team the guy? But if it's a strategy that is okay, but what if Kyrie hits that shot, you lose that game, or what? And what if D'Angelo hits? I mean, it was a razor's edge that they won both of those games. Yeah, that's true. My my thing is, is you need to adjust in the middle of the game. That is a good shot to allow. If a guy is uh, like a 17 foot pull up is is a good shot to allow. If a guy, if on average people make that 43% of the time, but Kyrie and D'Angelo Russell were not, it was clear that they were not an average shooter from that range that night. That becomes, that shot was, it becomes a killer. And I think you need to, I, I think Ryan Saunders should have made adjustments. I think, I definitely think you shouldn't have been dropping the big back the entire time. And, and I think you should have been trapping it. I mean, who, who else on the Warriors is going to do anything there? Throw, throw the, the double on there right like at the top right away and, and get it out of his hands. I don't I think they could have gone to that way earlier or I mean find ways to get it find, at a minimum find ways to get Covington involved in the action, whether that's you putting him on the ball on D'Angelo or you have him guard Willie Cauley Stein, who they're having set the screen every time so you can switch it. I, I think. They're gonna, yeah. They got away with those two, but I think you're gonna lose if you, if you do that consistently against a guy who. But those are the, those are the best two mid range shooters in the league. Yes, yes, you're right. I'm I'm just saying. So recognize that the yeah. two best mid range shooters in the league. If you're, I don't know who they who Dejounte Murray tomorrow. Like mm-hmm. of course, yeah. let him come in and pull up from, you know, 17 feet or whatever. But on the other side, Demar Derozan's pretty good at that. Yeah. If you drop back and you let DeMar DeRozan. But God, wouldn't you just let him shoot that shot all game? I I would, not all game. I would let him, I would for sure do it in the first. I mean, that's what you do. Half, second half adjustments. I would make a second half adjustment if that's, if that is what is cooking the Spurs offensive meal is, is that shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, 
I think it's different to, to extrapolate this out. I think it's different than just saying we believe in our five out pace and space offense where we launch threes no matter what. Like that makes more sense to me of like you kind of stick to that mm-hmm. more so. And I think there's adjustments to be made there too. I don't think you just have to shoot 40 a game no matter what. But you can have more of an offensive infrastructure than a defensive infrastructure. I think it's easier to make adjustments within a game on the defensive side. Yeah, maybe in general. I don't I don't know if I totally agree with that because I wonder if part of this is that they they might look at it like a Vanderpool or Ryan Saunders might look at it like, okay, yeah, we faced the two best mid-range shooters in the league and they torched us, but this team has sucked at defense and most notably Carl Anthony Towns has sucked at defense for four years and maybe we're just trying to implement a scheme that he can like kind of grasp yeah, his hands around if we're going to sure. ask That's him to start hedging Kyrie Irving on a screen in the first game of the season even though all of training totally camp fair. we worked on dropping totally fair. pick and roll that could get tough I, yeah I, but in the fourth quarter they did it yeah. I mean they were there were light adjustments. They didn't. They didn't make big adjustments. I think that's what, if Ryan if Ryan Saunders were here, that's exactly what he would say. Exactly what you just said. Yeah. And 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 he would. That would be obviously a strong point. I'm not. I like the scheme in general. I like the dropping back, the depth of the drop. That has been mm-hmm. that has been helpful for them. It's just. It's not. It doesn't need to be one size fits all. Like you yeah. can you can make adjustments within the. Everything, you know, like I, I think there there are adjustments to be made. And if if there is something to touch on with with Ryan of, of what he could improve is I think he's been late to make some adjustments. And that's not mm-hmm. only specifically to scheme, but I think in the Denver game, like you could have you could have gone they you know, that whole third quarter, like Paul Millsap was going off and they tried to they tried to fight through having Trevion Graham guard him, having Jake Lehman guard him until you said conceded. Okay, Paul Millsap is just beasting mm-hmm. on our small ball fours. We need to go to Noah Vonley, and he, he did, and he went to to Dubics. And I know that's kind of like I, I have I, that's my hill that I'm kind of on is they should be playing two well, together he's more. He's conceding to it. Like, he is, and you saw that again. Night. You saw yeah. that again tonight against yeah. Detroit, where Blake Griffin, Trevion Grant. I mean, he was doing work on Blake Griffin, or Blake Griffin was doing work on Trevion yeah. Graham, and yeah. then they went to two bigs again with Vonley and Cat. Not a ton, but like. I don't know what has been like eight minutes a game or something. Yeah. And I mean, man, wouldn't you get sick of that if you were Trevion Graham? Like, I don't want to guard Blake Griffin one-on-one. Are you kidding after me? After I guarded Daniel Murray, yeah, Jamal like, Murray yesterday. And then on Friday, I guarded Daniel. I mean, that it's like, yeah, it's not the fair. swath of guys that he's guarding is unreal. That's it. That's like you have one. That is his one. Yeah. Job, you know? And I, you even get it more with the perimeter players, but like break Blake Griffin is so much bigger than Travion Graham. Like you just watch him back him down right under the hoop and then lay it in with the end one. And you're like, this isn't going to work. This was never going to work. So it is kind of frustrating and it would be nice to see those adjustments a little bit more often, but it, it's just becoming so clear on both sides of the ball that framework is more important than anything else. It, and I'm sure there's a logic to that. It's just, I think I've said this before, in the midst of a game when you see the framework breaking down. Yeah. And, you know, as I want to see them do the things that make them win, it's it's frustrating to... It's frustrating to at times see them kind of just take that on the chin. Yeah, and it just does feel like they could do more of abiding by the framework while making small tweaks on the margins. 
like we've said it before, I just think they can kind of have it both ways a little bit more than they have and they have to this point. Just looking at <laughs> Bleacher Report, apparently Dwayne Wade is weighing in on the <laughs> on Andrew Wiggins. He said Andrew Wiggins is balling. So he said he's balling. He said he's balling. <laughs> wow, so now, so, so now nice, it's real. Really good so, insight. So there. now it's real. I did not look at my phone in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> I think that's well. I'm curious what what besides just kind of like some fluky performances. What makes you feel like the defense is so unsustainable? And do you think it's going to regress back to like staggeringly bad levels, or do you just feel like it's going to be more in that kind of twenty to twenty five range where it was last year? I don't think it'll be staggeringly bad. No, it's just honestly, it's just that it's that one thing that I'm really noticing. I think they're like. I've seen a lot of good stuff from like Trevion Graham or I thought Jake Lehman played a good game defensively today. And, yeah. you know, to their credit, the whole team, particularly in the fourth quarter, like I thought they had a, they played a really good fourth quarter when they should be tired against Detroit. Like they're getting back in transition defense. They were being solid in the half court. Like mm-hmm. I, I, you know, they, they do have spurts of competence, whereas whereas last year it was really broken. The whole the whole second half of the year was really broken where. I mean, the the difference was, is it was still kind of, they were getting beaten in the pick and roll, right? But it was swing, swing, corner three. Yep. The Wolves, <clears throat> the Wolves gave up the, the highest percentage against the corner three last year in the league. And they gave up the third most corner three point attempts. And so it's, but to me, that's more of like in a, the entire string breaking down sort of thing, rather than in the Kyrie or the D'Angelo game, it's just like, they're hot. They're just hot. Yeah. You know? Which is better. So to, that's kind of, you know, yeah. to your point. No, I, I agree with that. And it does seem like there's been a lot of, uh, of hot opponent shooting so far this season. And I think that the numbers do bear that out, even though I don't have them in front of me. It just seems like opponents have been making their three pointers. So maybe that will come back down to earth and that can help the Wolves defense. But what I've been encouraged by is before the season, we talked about like, what are they going to do when cats off the floor? Like, can Noah Vonley be a, you know, like a rim protecting five? What are you going to do? Are they just going to concede a million points? And that's going to make their defense bad. But not only has cat been improved and solid, even while his offense has, has waned a little bit, but they've been really good when he's been off the floor. Noah Vonley has been super solid. He's held on the defense without cat. And I think that's just really good to see when I think about where they might go the rest of the season as a group. I, th- I think, I think there's reason for optimism for it to, to come together, but it's, it's, if we know they're going to be a top 10 offense. Or top 15. Top 15. It's called yeah. 13. That's the worst it's been yeah. in Cat's career. They've been his rookie year 13th, second year 10th, third year 4th, last year 13th. Mm-hmm. So it's been... Yeah. I mean, it was 13th the same Mitchell year even. Yeah. Like, that's a floor. Totally. So if you pair 13 with, fif- 13 with 15... That's a playoff team, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, totally, hundred percent. Unless you're the what, 2013 Wolves? I was gonna say, yeah, yeah the Kevin Love because they were like tenth in defense and like eleventh in offense, something crazy that year. That it, yeah, but yeah, that's a playoff team. And even if they're nineteenth in defense, if they're thirteenth in offense and nineteenth in defense, I mean, that's in all likelihood a a playoff team or at least one that like barely loses out on the playoffs. So you might not even need to be the 14th best offense, but if you're just like even or defense, if you're just slightly below average, that could be good enough. And now I just feel like we're just like pumping the tires here, but, but you mentioned earlier, like 
you have had Cat suspended for two games, and he's kind of been off. And then having, I mean, no matter what you think about Jeff Teague or or Shabazz Napier, like that is, he is those guys are a hundred percent a step up over the eighteen minutes a game you're giving to Jordan McLaughlin. And even if it's just the Okoge and Wiggins minutes, like there there were times when they desperately did need a point guard out there, and they didn't have one to put. Like Denver made a good adjustment, and they just said, "All right, Torrey Craig, go pick up Wiggins full court." Mm-hmm. Like. If you have Jeff Teague in the game, you know, you just yeah. you just have him bring the ball up and then give it to Wiggins to I mean, they were I mean, they were putting an additional pressure on on Wiggins there. And it's I mean, Wiggins is six eight with like average at best handle. Mm-hmm. To be able to have gotten by point guard minutes is um you know, has been impressive. Yeah, they they haven't had everything go right for them, but they have had just enough go well. I mean, with Wiggins being way more than anyone or at least than I would have expected from him with Okogi I think being better than anticipated even though I think most people would have expected that he'd be good I think he's been even better than that and then I think you get like a little bit out of Trevion Graham and Jake Lehman and Noah Vonley and Shabazz Napier you just hope on a given night mm-hmm. you get good performances out of say two of those four guys they're just giving themselves just enough to win it's it's fun to start thinking about well like let's get cat clicking because with this Wiggins that could be a fun team to watch and sure. with Jeff Teague a, a healthy Jeff Teague out there that could make it even more fun like the, they've just been so solid every night when you kind of tune in and expect to see like what well, something <laughs> bad happen and they just keep being solid well you <laughs> we were sitting there the game ended and we're like huh. they won and you're like I guess I guess they're good. I guess they're all right. <laughs> because it's it's just kind of just giving you this sense of like, okay, we're seeing some nice things, but you know, does this is this balloon deflating like slowly? And I don't know. Like it'll be yeah. It's it's uh it's 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 hard to see. The the, the kind of put out some questions on put out for questions on uh on Twitter here and I think a lot of people are pointing well, a lot of people want to know about Jeff Teague. And it's it is odd to be out for an extended period of time with an illness. Um, but the thing I can for sure say is it's he is sick and it's it's not like there's some sort of trade going on or that he's mad at someone or anything like that. Like it's it's an illness like that happens sometimes that there something goes wrong with your body for over a week. Yeah. And it doesn't always mean that you can't like sit on a bench and watch a basketball game. Uh, that's what's happening. We know that moving on. Gorgie Jang has, he's been awesome. Yeah. They two bigs, two bigs, man. <laughs> well, actually he kind of has more been playing in just the one big sort of thing. But tonight, I mean that, that dunk yet from the corner, the pump and go. I mean, it didn't travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was big. And I, I was thinking about this all weekend just because I was game on Friday, practice on Saturday, game on Sunday, just around the team. And since I've covered the team, Grant and Gorgie, you know, to his credit, probably infused by this, won the community assist award mm-hmm. for the the work he did this offseason um, in Senegal, which is exceptional. But which is pop for me, and it's it's been more than this weekend, but particularly this weekend, the dude is in such a good mood. I mean, how does that come off? Just like smiling along, around joking. The room, joking. So, so he's like, you have the the media time, like where we can go into the locker room before the uh, 
before the game. Yep. And a lot of times it's like guys are, you know, whatever in the zone, they got their headphones on, like getting ready for the game. And it's just like, he's just chopping it up and smiling and laughing and messing with Wiggins and stuff like that. And it's, I mean, particularly last year in my mind of, you know, what he was just so frustrated with what was going on with not knowing what his role was on the team. And it's not like he's, he's actually probably what playing less this year, right? He's gotta be, he's got, but but he knows, he knows what is happening. He knows what his job is here. He's getting, he's interacting with his coach and he's just, he's just the type of personality that you can tell when you're, when he is feeling more positive, he's going to play more positive. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really shown up in these last few games. I don't know how meaningful it'll be. Maybe once they get everyone back to healthy, I'm sure he's never going to be a huge part of the rotation, but it always bears monitoring where he's at given the financial commitment they have to him and and the resources they have involved in him. So to get something positive out of him, which I think these objectively they've gotten this year, maybe not 16 or $17 million worth or whatever, because he isn't playing that much, but it's, it's a player that looks like they for sure belong in the NBA and that matters. Yeah. And I mean, he's always been a guy who plays with emotion, not only on the court, but like that his mood is going to affect his game. And not only, I don't think you only saw it last year, but like throughout his career, he's always been a really inconsistent player. And when he's not playing well, he's, he's mad about it. Well, and And I think it's still worth monitoring now. Like if he picks up like two early fouls and he gets in like a bad mood, like I think if you're Ryan Saunders, you got to go, we got to have a quick hook here because he's emotionally volatile. And then that can kind of, it swings his play, you know? So yeah, I, but it's, it's what makes him an easy guy to root for as well. Because, sure. he, I mean, you want to see a guy like that succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, he, and again, he's a he's a nice guy. Jarek Culver has also, well, he didn't start today, but he's gotten a lot of the point guard minutes. And I think that was a a huge development for this team in in seeing him, that comfort that we kind of assumed would come when he has the ball in his hands. And... And he just, he clearly looks more comfortable when he's in more of a point guard role. It's not like he's, you know, setting the world on fire with what he's doing. But I mean, right away at that beginning of that Denver game. And it's actually, it's one of the coolest things about being able to actually sit close to the floor. Like you can feel it when a guy's going to have like a good, his first, it wasn't even the dunk one. Mm -hmm. It was his first bucket he had that game. And it was just like a different sort of, it was just a different sort of swagger. I said, uh, like I tweeted out, I was like, yeah, Culver's got a different look today. Yep. And then, you know, five, 10 minutes later, he gets that big Duncan transition. And it's, again, it wasn't the biggest game in the world, but it's like, okay, we could kind of pump the brakes on some of the fear that this is a flop in any sort of way. Like it was really meaningful to see that in this T gap since the past four games. Totally. Especially when you don't get to see a guy play like in a summer league scenario where they're just kind of going to dominate. And their first introduction to the NBA is a a regular season game or a preseason game. I mean, that's a lot for them. So it's easy for us to make knee jerk reactions, but it's been great to see him show so much with the ball in his hands. I'm really curious to see where this goes with a healthy Jeff Teague and a healthy Shabazz Napier because not like he's going to lose his minutes, but if he's kind of pushed back into that spot up role where somebody else is initiating the offense and all you can do is sit in the corner. I mean, how's he going to respond to that? I asked Ryan about that 
the corner because it's kind of my thought is as far as shooting goes, he's most comfortable from the corner. I think it, that just like he looks more comfortable there. And I asked if that's kind of the reason we've seen him starting there. Mm-hmm. And what what Ryan said was that's a good place for a guy to like lift out of to be a secondary pick and roll guy. Oh, sure. And I don't think we've seen a ton of that. It's It's been a lot more standing, but I think that's the idea once they start, you know, once, if they ever get all these guys back, is to, you want to have multiple guys who can come into the action, maybe even three at one time in Teague, Wiggins, and Culver, mm-hmm. to be a pick and roll initiator because that's always going to be a better shot than just, oh, okay, now we just need to 911 call for Teague or Wiggins to just fire up a difficult mid-range shot in isolation. So I think that's what we'll probably see more of is him increasing his touches. Yeah. Lifting out of the corner, but also hopefully to be shoot a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for sure the free throw shooting has been. Well, yeah, because it just makes it harder to get to make those touches valuable if they're coming off the catch. If you can never make a shot, it's yeah, just going to yeah. be harder to play that role because a defender is just going to let you attack them and kind of mm-hmm. just stand back. But but maybe he's just maybe he's just got to attack it. Like yeah. if that's his strength too. I mean, take the obviously take the open you know catch and shoot ones. But right now, his number one NBA skill is his ability to get to the. To the to rim, rim and, yeah. and finish. But it's a fa- it's a really, really fascinating part of this season because he doesn't seem to have the clout with Ryan Saunders that you might expect from a sixth overall pick. He has not closed any games. Josh Okogie has closed over him. Any chance that there's been to have one of those two be in a closing lineup. He didn't start today either, which I can see the logic in like mm-hmm. you want to spread out if, if Wiggins and Culver are kind of your point guards. But if you're committed to a system that is your blueprint exactly. for the future, it is it is a bit bizarre that you're not committed to, to the rookie. Yeah. Right. That's a piece of the next four to five years. I don't even think it's right or wrong one way or the other. It's it's just odd to be one. And it's not contradictory on some level. Like if you're impl- if if you're go- if you're going to say, OK, we're going to implement this five out system and this deep drop scheme on the defensive end because it's it's the way we want to play for the next five years with Carl Anthony Towns. And we're worried way more about years three, four and five than we are about year one right now. Like, how do you not carry that logic over to Jarrett Culver? And I'm not even saying like play the guy 30 minutes like that's what I want to see. But I just would it's think just interesting that, they that it's would. not happening. Yeah. You'd think they'd yeah. want to do that. So something to monitor. Yeah, it's something to monitor. And it, yeah, it's just easy to, you, you just start thinking about, you know, how much a part of the future is he? Yeah. Or or not necessarily that, but are you targeting him being a really good role player? Or are you targeting him being a really good star? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's only 10 games. Yeah. And he hasn't done a lot with the minutes he's received. Maybe they would have increased the bandwidth had he been a little bit more impressive in the first four or five games. But yeah. The way you put it is it's worth monitoring. It's just because it seems a little weird. That's fair to to make sure we point out, though, because he was really bad to start the season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I can't say on one side, like, oh, play two bigs because it's going to increase your win percentage by 1%. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then on the other side, be like, play Jared Culver because yeah. it's the, yeah. You know, it's true. just... Um, <laughs> It, yeah, it's a it's a bizarre juxtaposition. What else are we not hit on? I'm scrolling through all these Twitter questions. Everyone seems to be up in arms about the the three point shooting. Do you think that it's idiot? I mean, we kind of already hit on it. I, I don't think it's 
idiotic to keep firing. Like, no, no, I think I, I, I mean, it's frustrating to watch. I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, man, that was a lot of bricks against Denver, but I don't know. That's like the system they have in yeah. place. There's not really a ton of other options out of it. If you literally are running five out. I mean, that's three point shooting is more volatile. That's why like teams yeah. will do it less at the end of the game. If you just need a bucket, but you've, I mean, it, they they have bad shooters, so there were always going to be games like this. Yes, even teams with good shooters. Yeah, have that's why games it didn't like even this. surprise me. Yeah, it doesn't even surprise me that this happened. And it's like, oh, 39 missed threes. That's the most in NBA history. I'm like, yeah, I would have bet money they were going to set that record this year. Exactly. Right? The Rockets missed 27 threes in the finals with a a group that was constructed to make open catch and shoot threes. They missed 27 <laughs> of them in a row. I mean, like that was just kind of going to happen. Then mm-hmm. they come out tonight and make eight of their first 10 and like three of them just look lucky. And it's just like, they were, that's they just, were lucky. Yeah. That, and it was unlucky. They made six of 45. Exactly. They, they, that's 13% from three. And that what Ryan said right after the game, he goes, we almost just beat Denver. And we only gave up a hundred points to them. Mm-hmm. And we shot 13% from three on 45 threes. Like I'll take that. Yeah. And as a positive mm-hmm. and I would too, like, you need better shooters on this this team. You know that. He knows that. He knows that. And I think they would make adjustments if they did. Like, I, I don't know. It would be eventually that will happen. Yeah. But you're playing. You have to, because Jeff Teague and Shabazz Napier are out, you're playing Josh Okogie a bunch more, who's not a, a great shooter. Even Jake Lemon, who made some tonight, they, both of their minutes are going up. Jordan McLaughlin's clearly not a shooter. Mm-hmm. Like, they already had a pretty low expected three-point percentage. And not the Teague and Napier lights out, but that's two of your better three-point shooters yeah. who haven't played either. And Cat, your best three-point shooter, missed two games, and his touch is clearly off. Like, and he said as much. Like, it, it's going to bounce back, and it, it, it did against Detroit. It might not swing as much every game, but I'm not— I mean, they're going to be one of the worst by percentage, I would guess, three-point shooting teams in the NBA this year. But they're at like 28.5% right now. Even if they're the worst team in the league, that will probably level out something like 31 or 32%. Like That would be really bad, and that's meaningfully better than where they're at right now. It's also worth noting that they're getting to the rim too. Mm-hmm. Like If you are 29% shooting threes, that stinks. But it's only terrible if you're also shooting a bunch of mid-rangers and missing a bunch of those. They're not doing that. Mm-mm. The other side of the equation, they're being decent at it, getting to the bucket. And yeah, like we if we believe that 13th in offensive rating is the floor for this team, like everything's gonna come up. Mm-hmm. Everything's gonna come up. They're gonna probably shoot some better. And Cat's probably just gonna play better. Yeah. Like the the first four games of the season, pre-fight, Cat, like he is definitely going to be more that player than this player he has been now. Like Ryan was saying, he's like, cat's out of a rhythm. He got mm-hmm. out of a rhythm, not playing for a week. Yeah. And he was in a freaking awesome rhythm before that. Like it's just all ebbs and flows. Yeah. But that whole, I mean, it's kind of been this whole podcast, like the discussion about Jarrett Culver, the discussion about playing two bigs, the discussion about how many three-point shots they're taking, and soon maybe the discussion about whether Cat should post up more often. Like, this is what's going to define this season, it already feels like, is this present, this this tug-of-war between winning more games right now and setting a framework for succeeding in the future. And it feels like 
so lame to talk about it that way, but right. that's just what they're doing. It's yeah, it's what is being laid out. I just as I'm looking through another one of these questions, it's like there, there's a difference between understanding that they're shooting this many threes and also thinking that not all threes are good threes. Like if Jordan Bell is playing, mm-hmm. he doesn't he doesn't need to be taking above the break threes. Like Tre- Trevion Graham against the Pistons tonight yes. took one with like 19 seconds left on the shot clock and about a minute 50 left in the fourth. That and you're bad. just going, what in the world? Mm-hmm. But that's that's decision making. You know, uh, and it's buried somewhere on my uh, on my Twitter feed now. But I did I did tweet out a video of Josh Okogie leaving the corner. He was like wide open for a corner three where Cat could have hit him on the skip. And Okogi, this was in the Denver game where he, he would have been open three, but Okogi decided to dive to the bucket for the you know for the drop off there. This is just like, it just ended up being a catch and a dunk. Now that is, requires a decision from Okogi of am I prioritizing the corner three or am I prioritizing what I think could be a probably a fairly easy shot at the rim? And I think for some of the players like him, like Trevion. Um, Mostly those two, maybe Jake Clayman to some extent too, because you're also a good athlete. Lean towards prioritizing the cut to the basket. Don't just say I'm a corner three point shooter just to do it. There, there is a gray area that they can fudge. Um, there's certain guys you say a cat. If cat catches at the top of the key anytime someone doesn't come out on him, of course fire it. You make that forty percent of the time. Yeah, like that's cool. Yeah, but there, there is. There's a gray area with some of these. Like Von Le hasn't shot, has not had an impressive shot this year. Mm-mm. He can't really shoot from the corners. He never has. He's not comfortable from there. Like, not everyone has to bomb them. Yeah, certain guys do though. Well, that's such a big part of this. Like the modern NBA, what gets talked about is shooting more three pointers and shooting less from the mid range because. The percentages are similar, so why not get three instead of two? And so a team like the Timberwolves, when you're talking about how they're modernizing, quote-unquote, you're talking about them shooting more three-pointers. And that while that gets emphasized every step along the way, you just sort of forget that that's not the most efficient shot. Getting to the rim is the most efficient shot. Free throws are the most efficient shot. So even though that's like what drives the narrative around what a modern basketball team does, your, your bread and butter should still be at the rim. Because that's it's close to the rim. Jimmy Butler year. Jimmy Butler's <laughs> yeah, kids year. They're exactly. fourth in offensive rating, and that's fourth. what that's what Tibbs always said to his credit. He goes, "That's the the order." Yeah, is at the rim, free throws, then corner threes, then above break above the break threes. That is you want to break it down block by block, efficiency wise. That's that's how it works, and they prioritized in that order, and that's why they were fourth in offensive rating, even though they had some nasty Jamal Crawford possessions, some mm-hmm. nasty. Jeff Teague, some nasty, even Butler, stuff like that. Wiggins, like they yeah. were for sure Wiggins. Like it's still aggregated to the fourth and offensive rating because they did a really good job of taking yeah. shots close to the rim. Yeah. And because they, I mean, if you're going to isolate that often, you just don't turn the ball over, get to the free throw line a bunch. Like they did some awesome, like they took advantage of that ability to get to the line to do other things as well. That, yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> It's um it's after ten o'clock here. Do we have anything else we missed on here? I, this was kind of a spur of the moment pot. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think Wiggins is it right now, and just it's a story. We we talked about it before the season. Like he's had hot starts to 
to years. So I want to see how long he can keep this handle tight and if he can stay, like if his shot looks like it's... Is that the thing you think, if this starts to break down, <laughs> which is a yeah, negative track yeah. to go on, but, but if, if Wiggins starts to fall off, what is it that falls off? It's the handle. Because if, if he can't do what he's doing right now to get past the first line of defense, which opens up either his ability to get to the rim or to pass it to a shooter along the perimeter. If he can't get that, then he's got nothing. And then he's going to either just shoot mid-rangers or just float and never demand the ball. I do think a big part of it, too, I agree with the handle, but a big part of it is on his drives, he's not facing a second defender coming in to stunt into the action. And I think that's where a lot of the pokeaways came in or just another thing in his vision going towards the rim. Because they have Cat out on the perimeter, because it's so spaced, I mean, Wiggins is catches so many of them are direct lines where all he's got to do is beat his one guy Mm -hmm. and he can do that he can do he can he can definitely do that i just i i don't know i wonder if there's like a cold stretch if there's a cold stretch where he's not finishing getting to the rim or if he starts if he has a bad free throw game and goes like four of 12 or something does that because we've seen him get discouraged before of of doing one thing or the other, shooting threes, getting in the free throw line or whatever, and then falling back into his comfort zone, mm-hmm. which is the mid-range. I think the difference, though, is that it's it won't be negotiable. They will they will stay on him to to say you you, you have to you have to play the style that you played with yeah. getting the year, even if he falls into a rut. To the benefit of the wolves, it, I agree. It seems like. If it reverts, it won't be so detrimental to the team because he won't continue to get the usage that he's getting right now. But it would be—it's so critical to their success so far that it just—it just has to sustain. What? What about this? If so, if the first say in the first hypothetically, if the first half of the San Antonio game, Wiggins uh, clanks a couple threes, clanks his first two shots. At, uh, at the rim, and then he goes and he takes like six mid-rangers and makes like one of the six of those. Would you, because I would have said yes to this earlier in the year, would you want him to want to see him held accountable and maybe not close the game or play in the fourth quarter for this team? Yeah, I, I would, I especially knowing that it seems like to Saunders holding someone accountable because was it the Miami game that he did yeah. this? It, it's just more like benching him for three minutes of a rotation mm-hmm. that he would normally play. So yeah, I, I would want to see it, whether it was that or not letting him close the game. I mean, if it's because if you really are going to preach it, like this is more important to us than winning games right now, but then you're not going to hold somebody accountable for not following your rules, then like what do your rules mean? Right, I, I guess it's just... Like, is he too good after six I games? That's I mean, no, that's no, come saying. on. It's like the fourth quarter, and you're like, oh, we're down by four to the Spurs, and now we have Trevion Graham, Jarrett Culver, and Jordan McLaughlin out there. Like, I don't know. <laughs> is that the time to, to discipline and to I, – I just fall way more into, like, win the game. Yeah. Play to win the game. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that. I think that would be one of those where – Saunders would probably go by field, and he probably would do. And what did he say last night about like breaking old habits with Wiggins? Am, am I making something up? He was last night. Or, um, yeah, no, it was Friday. Yeah. Well, what I asked him was because he. It, that was my question. I, I asked him because Wiggins took like the first shot of overtime. He went and it was like one of his. He did step back into like a mid range shot because he was feeling himself. Like yeah. he was. He was you know, a great fourth quarter, and and I asked him like, how do you like? 
I said, do you feel more comfortable about him taking that mid-range shot after he's kind of been like balling out for the first four quarters in the game? And Ryan was like, I wouldn't say the word I would use is comfortable. Like I, if there's a time that he's going to do it, that would be it. But I still want him to stick that because we're breaking habits. Yeah. And if you're going to, yeah, this is what he said. If we're going to break habits, you have to break habits. Yeah. So. So I would say Saunders would reprimand him somehow. I just, I can't see him benching Wiggins for clutch minutes. I, I don't see it. I, I maybe would, but mm-hmm. I can't see Saunders doing that. I could see him like benching him for a few minutes in the yeah, third that's, or that's at the beginning of the fourth. I, I can't see him benching him for the last five right. minutes of the game. Right. Well, we'll have one more game before. Are you going to be able to do Thursday? Yeah. Okay. So we'll be back on Thursday. What if I would have said no? That would have been so sad. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Call up Dave Benz again. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll be back with that. We'll have the Spurs game. I think we'll have had some, I think we're both going to write kind of, I was saying it's, it's hard to do a podcast right after a game because you haven't really like, let it sink in as to whatever just happened and think about it. So for me, this team six and four looked pretty good through a little bit of adversity. Like I kind of feel like I got to, we're 10 games in, I got to assess this. Like, yeah. How much do I believe in it? How much I, I was at 37 wins before the season. Like, am I boosting this up to a over 500 team? I don't know. Like I, it feels it feels like it's worth considering. Yeah. No. Right totally. Like. Yeah. If I, not I now, then in in ten games. I mean, I think yeah, after, like twenty for sure. I think By after 20, twenty, you're yeah. like, you should. If you can't make an assessment, then then you're never going to be able to. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It. What I do kind of like though is it's not going to be one where we're going to be able to use a lot of like lineup combination data or this and that because it's all been broken up. Yep. Totally. It's gonna to have a good opinion on this team. We're gonna have to have watched them. Yep. And seen how it all kind of fit together because it's been messy. It's not Tibbs. It's not Tibbs where you're getting 1,200 minutes from the starters. Yep. Like you're gonna have to you have to think about it. And I like that. I like doing that. Go to zonecoverage.com this week. Charlie and I are both working on something. We'll have we'll have plenty up there, and we will be back on Thursday with another pod when, once we have our uh, our lives figured out. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> until then, um, I'm I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. Charlie is at C John's MBA on Twitter. Follow all of our stuff at Zone Coverage MN. Till then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.